Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When eight-year-old tomboy Sarah Paulson's summer bike ride takes a deadly turn. It just felt like the earth just opened up and just sucked me in a big hole. Portage, Indiana police are left scratching their heads. What devil would ground this little blonde angel? This was without question a very bad, evil person. In a bizarre whodunit, detectives round up a sick scribe, a fed-up fast foodie, and a crazed confessor. But will police ever crack the case? There was never one person that said they saw a suspicious person with her, so we really had no witnesses. Then a key clue leads police to someone in their very own town who harbors a deep, dark secret. We realized that we had the most prolific serial killer that the state of Indiana has ever experienced. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? At first glance, the mild-mannered Midwestern town of Portage, Indiana, may seem sleepy. But at its heart are the hard-working folks who make the city's steel mills spark. Of course, the locals also have a sparkle in their eyes, as well as a flair for fried fare. Like any good, proud Midwestern town, the favorite food is anything deep-fried on a stick. Beer, ice cream, you name it. Portage natives Patty and Dan Paulson have been enjoying everything Portage has to offer since they were little. And now, with three tykes of their own, this busy couple has made a nice life for their bubbly brood in a charming home on Central Avenue. Everybody knows everybody, and we can sit out on our driveway and people wave as they drive by. Our kids have played sports with all the other kids, and we've seen them all grow up. 
While steelworker Dan Paulson is often out of town on business, Mom Patty runs his office at the mill. And when they're not working, Patty and Dan are busy wrangling the kids. 13-year-old Jason, 10-year-old Daniel, and 8-year-old Sarah, their little spitfire. Sarah, being the youngest of the three, was very competitive. She had to have her gym shoes on and be out there doing what the boys were doing. And this tomboy is up for anything, as long as she's still pretty in pink. Everything had to have pink in it. She had these little plastic pink earrings that she had to wear all the time. She had to have the pink bows. Life certainly is rosy for young Sarah. With second grade just around the corner, she takes advantage of the last day of summer break, the best time of the year for one of Sarah's favorite pastimes, collecting neighborhood critters. She had to have her jar so she could go around and collect her bugs. Another thing she collected besides bugs was frogs. Of course, you know, we didn't let her bring them in the house, but... <laughs> And her favorite hunting ground is just across the street from her house, in the woods next to the church. It seems like the ideal place to play. But on August 22nd, 1995, this idyllic setting is about to turn into this family's worst nightmare. Portage detective Terry Swickert has over two decades on the force under his belt and he's always at the ready. I started to get interested in police work in my late teens. The thing I like best is giving victims uh, a closure to their case. And around 12.30 on August 22nd, 1995, Swickard's lunch is interrupted by what sounds like a doozy. According to dispatch, a woman walking her dog has come across a most disturbing sight a dead body right next to a church. The initial call is just a deceased female in the woods. I was thinking, is this a natural death? Uh, is there anything suspicious about it? While the good detective arrives in two minutes flat, the fire department already has the church parking lot cordoned off. And firefighters give Swickert some terrible news. The victim is a very young girl. Well, I remember thinking that this was probably be the worst thing that we would have ever dealt with. It's a heartbreaking sight. The little girl is lying face down, wearing only a bikini top, the bottom of her bathing suit around her left thigh. From the looks of it, the petite blonde was sexually assaulted, but investigators aren't sure just yet how she was killed. While the fire department secures the scene, Swickard tries to figure out who this youngster is. The lieutenant gave me a description, clothing description of what the victim had on and approximate age. And I then began a neighborhood canvas going door to door. In minutes, he's approached by Patty Paulson, whose daughter, Sarah, hasn't been seen since she went out for a bike ride an hour earlier. I told him that I couldn't find my daughter. Just the look in his eyes, I will never forget that look as long as I live. And he said, can you describe her for me? So I gave him a description of Sarah, and he pulled me aside and said, 
I believe we have your daughter. I just felt like the earth just opened up and just sucked me in a big hole. Through her tears, Patty tells investigators she left her best babysitter, big brother Jason, in charge of Sarah when she went to work early that morning. It's something Patty's done countless times before. And Jason didn't think twice when Sarah asked if she could pedal over to her favorite spot. She was out riding her bike over in the churchyard like she did every day. Patty goes on to say that when she arrived home from work a short time ago, she had no idea anything was wrong. Patty did notice the commotion next door to the church, but never in a million years did she think it had anything to do with Sarah. And you go from one minute waking up and it was a nice, beautiful, sunny day out and everything is normal. And then all of a sudden, you are just blindsided. A blitz attack on an innocent child in broad daylight has everyone rattled. Wondering who did it and why. Questions the Portage police desperately need to answer to bring justice to this suffering family. Retired Captain Dave Reynolds is a 21-year veteran of the Portage Police. And while his department doesn't see too many serious crimes, when one rears its ugly head, Reynolds is the man they call. So when Reynolds arrives at the scene and sees what happened to little Sarah on his watch, it shakes him to his core. I'd be lying to say it didn't affect me when I first saw the body, because I had two girls at the time. However, to be effective in your job, you really got to separate yourself real quick. It's going to take a lot of focus to figure out this murder mystery, and Captain Reynolds has little to go on. Even a closer look at Sarah's small body doesn't give away the ending. We didn't know how she died. There was no blunt force trauma or blood. With Sarah's face buried in the leaves, he wonders if she may have been suffocated. It's only a guess, but one thing's for sure. It looks like there's a monster on the loose in Portage. I couldn't believe that something like this could happen. Whether you're in Portage or anywhere, who would do something like this? Um, this horrific thing. Who could this madman be? Has an evil interloper slipped into Portage? Or is this the work of a devil everyone knows? Sarah's mom can't think of anyone in town who could do this, so police go door to door, hoping to dig up some dirt on possible perverts. And sure enough, a neighborly tip points them to a most unusual suspect. We came up with a, a subject by the name of Oliver Cranston, who was working in his yard at the time. And if Oliver sure looks sweet-tempered, word around town is that rugrats can send him into a rage. He was a person that was known to not have uh, liked children. So he was someone that we needed to talk to. Police have to wonder if this gardening grandpa could possibly leave a little girl pushing up daisies. Or is someone else to blame for Sarah's premature exit? 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In late August, Portage, Indiana residents are usually baiting their hooks for an annual fishing competition, where they can reel in major prizes. But the day after Sarah Polson's murder, Chicago Tribune writer Pam Citrinbaum has bigger fish to fry. By telling Sarah's story, I wanted to not only tell the story about her life, but also tell the story of her community and the way in which this kind of thing has such a tremendous impact on everyone there. Portage police are also feeling the heat, and they have a line on their first suspect. But before they can step out the door, the autopsy results come in. The medical examiner confirms Sarah's family's worst fears. She was sexually assaulted. And when the monster finished having his way with her, he silenced poor little Sarah for good. 
the official cause of death based on the autopsy was strangulation. Other than the marks around her neck, there was no other injuries. Sarah's killer probably wrapped his bare hands around her neck and didn't let go. But microscopic blue fibers under her fingernails tell the ME she didn't go down without a fight. And she just may win the final round if the fibers lead police to her killer. But for now, the problem is figuring out who that may be. We didn't know what we were looking for other than probable a sex offender. We can only make assumptions that she was sexually assaulted and she was killed to cover up the perpetrator's identity. I mean, the bad guy did not want anyone to know who he was. So it's a good thing investigators have their eyes on a promising suspect, a suspicious chap named Oliver Cranston. But does he fit the bill? He didn't have an alibi. He was out by himself. He was out working in a garden west of the crime scene. And rumor has it he's not too fond of ankle biters. So while that sure doesn't mean Cranston's a lethal pedophile, police need to look into him, so they track down the retiree at home. This burly old bear is surprised to see police, but he's cooperative. He was large-framed, a bigger gentleman, and um, looked like he worked outside quite a bit. Police cut to the chase and ask if Oliver knows about Sarah Paulson's murder. Cranston says he heard what happened, but insists he had nothing to do with it. But this constant gardener does admit when he was in his yard that morning, he heard a child scream. Mr. Cranston said he looked up and he thought it actually came from the street area, not from the wooded area. He assumed it was a child, but he couldn't really elaborate on if it was a girl or a boy or how old. Cranston said he just thought it was some neighborhood kids roughhousing nearby. So he went back in his house. But investigators aren't convinced he's innocent just yet. So detectives haul him down to the station for a lie detector test. Investigators strap Cranston in and cut to the chase, asking if he killed Sarah. But he comes up smelling like a rose. The polygraph examiner indicated that there was no signs of deceit, and Mr. Cranston was very cooperative in his answers, and he was very confident that he um, was not involved in this incident. It turns out Cranston's record is also as clean as a freshly weeded flower bed. Even though he was right there, my gut feeling of concerning Oliver Cranston was that he was not involved. Looks like investigators need to throw out suspect number one and move on. Captain Reynolds is going to need a little help tracking down more suspects, and he knows just the man to call. Corporal Detective Bill Message has been knocking down bad guys' doors for almost 27 years, and he's not about to stop. For him, it's in the genes. My dad and my grandfather were both police officers in a neighboring city of Gary, Indiana here. I decided to be a police officer when I was about 12, 13 years old. But this case pierces Message's shield like an arrow through deer hide, and it makes him all the more determined to track down Sarah's killer. And since she was found in the woods next to the church, 
could the Reverend have noticed anything less than holy that morning? We didn't think he had a motive of doing something like this, but we investigated everyone that was near that area at the time. Police catch up with Reverend Roderick Scott at the church for a come-to-Jesus meeting. But from the get-go, this man of the cloth seems utterly angelic. The Reverend was cooperative. I think he was nervous, but he realized the importance of the investigation, and he realized the importance of the questions. The Reverend says he's devastated such a thing could happen near his church, and his congregation is praying for Sarah and her family. While police believe Scott's sincere, they have to ask him where he was that fateful Tuesday morning. Turns out, he was just steps away. So he was outside and walked through the parking lot right about the time we believe Sarah Paulson had left her house. Even though Sarah may have been riding her bike nearby, the Reverend insists he didn't see her or anyone else outside the church. Chances are, he was already inside doing the Lord's work by the time Sarah breathed her last. And sure enough, several ladies who handle the church's paperwork vow that's exactly where he was. And when police run the Reverend's record, it's no surprise that it's as clean as the church floor. So it's time to cross this one off their list. Police regroup and keep their focus in Sarah's neighborhood. Since she was sexually assaulted, they turn to a trusty investigation tool, the local sex offender registry. And the results are eye-opening. I didn't realize that we had that many sex offenders that lived in the area. There was more than I would probably like to admit to. Police hope to catch up with all the men in question. Perhaps one of them is to blame for taking Sarah's life. But before investigators can even make a dent in the list, Dispatch gets a call from a woman who runs a fast food place only a half mile from the crime scene. She thinks police should look into an employee with one very bad attitude. She indicated that sometime around 11 o'clock, an employee by the name of Eugene Britt was squirting water on someone in the kitchen area, and she told him to go home. This caller also tells police that Eugene's a hothead who recently got a little fresh with some of her female employees. And it worries her that Britt left work a good hour before Sarah Paulson's body was found. And he had punched out with his employee time card at approximately 11.02 a.m. same day. Did this disgruntled fast foodie speed over to the church and make quick work of little Sarah Paulson? Or will a shocking confession spin the case in a whole new direction? Portage, Indiana, hugs the shoreline of Mighty Lake, Michigan, which has earned it the nickname, the city on the edge. And that phrase has taken on a whole new meaning with a killer on the loose, more than three weeks after Sarah Paulson's murder. Everybody was on pins and needles at that point because they didn't know who had done this. Um, we didn't know if it was somebody in the community that has done that or if it's somebody that random just passing through. Detective Reynolds and his team know there's only one way to put folks' minds at ease, and that's to find Sarah's killer come hell or high water. 
the attitude of the community was that they felt that the police department would solve it. So I think we put pressure on ourselves. Good thing Reynolds has his eye on a suspect who's hotter than a flat top grill at lunchtime rush, fast food restaurant employee, Eugene Britt. And Britt's boss just called in a tip after she sent Britt home for some horseplay he may have been riding his bike in the same area where Sarah was killed, and at the same time. But before paying Burger Boy a visit, police run his record, and it's as slippery as a fast food slider. Based on his criminal record, Eugene Victor Britt was convicted of rape and robbery, so we needed to know more about him. When police dig deeper into Britt's record, they find out that he got out of jail two years earlier and the girl he served time for raping was only 16. Like little Sarah, she was attacked in broad daylight in a wooded area. A story that definitely raises investigators' antenna. When they haul Britt into the station, he's not a happy camper. He didn't have a very good demeanor when he was interviewed, making comments that you're harassing me type of thing, that I've done my time and he's somewhat defensive right off the bat. But this is no popularity contest, so police cut to the chase and ask Britt if he heard about the murder of Sarah Polson, and he claims to know nothing about it. But when they tell Britt what his manager said about the direction he rode his bike in from work, he spins quite a different tale. He was very adamant in the fact that when he left the fast food restaurant, that he went north, not south, and he was not in the area of where this occurred. So investigators decide to pay a visit to Britt's sister, Eva, who he lives with in Gary, to see if she knows what he was up to the day Sarah was killed. But when investigators knock on her door, Eva is as bristly as her little bro. And with no search warrant, police have to leave. There's nothing to tie Britt to the murder, so detectives are forced to set his name aside. Although we didn't have any evidence to suggest that he was involved, we knew that we needed to continue our investigation and to get more, if there was more. While this burger flipper is off the broiler for the moment, Reynolds is wishing he had some good news for Sarah's family. My husband and I started to feel a little, you know, is this gonna happen? Are they going to make an arrest before the snow flies? But you always have faith that they know what they're doing, and they're going to make an arrest. Then all of a sudden, a whopper of a lead falls right into Detective Reynolds' lap. A Chicago radio producer calls Portage Police and says that a man named Harvey Wagner just left a message on the radio station's call-in line. And what Harvey had to say is quite shocking. Harvey claims he choked and killed the little girl in Portage, 40 miles away. I was shocked when I first got the call because not too often do people call and admit that they were involved in a, in a murder. There was no way of knowing if it was a legitimate caller, but it was serious enough that we had to you know, further investigate it. Detective Message is not sure what to make of the claims, but he's been on the force long enough to know he shouldn't get his hopes up. You tend to believe it was maybe a sigh of relief that 
we've got this guy already. But then you start thinking, it's too good to be true. And this caller is so bold that he not only revealed his name, but his address as well. So the Chicago PD bags this crazy cat for Captain Reynolds, who makes the 45-minute drive to question Harvey. Right off the bat, Wagner blurts out some big news. Harvey admitted to the killing of Sarah Paulson and provided a lot of information on how he did it and where he did it and when he did it. Police don't know what to make of this guy, but they ask him to elaborate. He said that he took a Greyhound bus from Chicago to Portage, and then he went to a park, and then he saw a girl playing in the park on a bicycle, and, and then he murdered her. But police hit some speed bumps between Wagner's story and the truth. The story kept falling apart from the very beginning with him telling us that he got off the bus. That was the first red flag that went up that we don't have any bus stop in Portage. And second, Sarah wasn't playing in a park that day. But detectives press for more details just in case. Wagner says that when he approached Sarah, she was with two other girls and he heard her utter a racial slur, which set him off. So he choked Sarah to death and ran. Mr. Wagner was um, quiet. He came across believable, but what he said wasn't believable. Police then spot another hole in Wagner's story. They're fairly certain Sarah was alone when she was killed. Harvey's statement seems to be leaking like a sieve, but cops can't let him slip through the cracks. This person obviously was a person of interest because he's admitting the crime, so we needed more than just his statement. So police give him one more test. If this guy is on the up and up, surely he should be able to take them to the scene of the crime. They drive Harvey back down to Portage and ask him to put his money where his mouth is. But when detectives walk Harvey around, it's clear he doesn't have a clue about Sarah's last moments. I'm thinking there's something wrong with him, and I'm getting a little upset because I have other more important things to do. However, you can't discount a person um, that's admitting to killing someone. And the very next day, police get an unexpected call from someone who just may be able to shed some light on this guy's real deal, Wagner's mother. And when police talk to mom, she admits this isn't the first time her son has confessed to a murder he didn't commit. But she swears Harvey was up in Chicago the Tuesday Sarah was killed. The whole saga involving Mr. Harvey wasted about four days of investigators' time that we could have been doing something else. Was I frustrated with that? No, not very happy. But in a case like this, you just have to do whatever comes up. Since it looks like this guy needs a straitjacket instead of a jail cell, police turn their focus back to finding Sarah's real killer and bringing closure to Sarah's frustrated family. I mean, no arrests were made. And as you're, you know, going on your everyday today activities, then you start to look at people. And then you have that uneasy feeling. Investigators have no shortage of leads to sift through, including one from their old friend, Reverend Scott. Turns out, shortly after they questioned the good Reverend about Sarah's murder, he started receiving bizarre letters about the case from a man who calls himself Mad Jack. It sounded as if Mad Jack just hated the world. 
He hated everybody in the world, and he hated any religion other than his. He considered himself the prophet. But there's something even more eye-catching in Mad Jack's ugly little postal package. Some very disturbing photos. In part of the literature, he had a dead, naked little girl in one of the pages, which was a big red flag for us. Even police are shocked by the sick lengths this creepy character has gone to, and they have to wonder, is this the handiwork of Sarah's killer? And if it is, where is this demented wordsmith hiding? One month after Sarah's murder, the autumn leaves start to fall in Portage, Indiana. But instead of looking forward to trick-or-treating toddlers, folks are as cranky as a witch with a busted broomstick that Sarah's killer is still on the loose. The crime was a topic of conversation. Uh, local people felt th the level of violation felt so extra awful. People were so angry. They would just, they would shake. But investigators just may be close to finding a treat in this tricky case. They're zeroing in on a real-life ghoul who calls himself Mad Jack. And he just won't let Sarah rest in peace. He's been hounding the folks who work at the church next to the crime scene, sending rambling letters about the murder to the police department's old pal, Reverend Scott. Mad Jack sent some very derogatory and threatening literature to the reverend, which sparked our attention because what is this guy doing? But the exact origin of this package is a mystery. It was sent directly to the reverend with no return address, simply postmarked Chicago. So Captain Reynolds and his team race over to the church, where they find the reverend clearly shaken up by the contents including seven typed letters. This mad Jack said things like, there is no Jesus, there is no Santa Claus, there is no anything. He rambled on so much that it could have given him a motive to do this because it sounded as if he just hated the world. But scarier still, mad Jack added a little something that could curl the toes of even the most seasoned investigators. Uh, this mad Jack sent photographs, autopsy photographs of, of a little girl. There was something wrong with the guy. Police don't know whether mad Jack's just another nut job or if he's Sarah's real killer and he had it in for her. Though police don't yet know why. It was apparent that this person was very fixated on Sarah Paulson and the investigation. So we needed to try to locate this person and try to find out what his reasons or motives were. But finding Mad Jack turns out to be a wild goose chase. Police are able to locate the post office in Chicago where the letters were mailed. However, since there's not a security camera in sight, there's no way to put a face to the nutcase's nickname. There was nothing in any of the letters that was of any type of evidentiary value. Well, we didn't have a full name. We didn't have an identification. We just had postmarks. It's pretty hard to find somebody with only limited information. 
so cops are forced to set Mad Jack aside and wait to see if this screwball scribe has the guts to ever show his face again. It's a scary reality for the public and a sobering fact for investigators who are no closer to finding Sarah's killer. Every day that went by, we thought, well, maybe today they'll make an arrest. And then days turn into weeks, and then, you know, it was like a month and, and nothing. And then you start to look at people like, did you do this? Did you do this, you know? These citizens of Portage were still wanting answers. If we have a madman loose, should they let their children outside? Should they go anywhere? It was becoming very frustrating. Yet we weren't getting too far in this case. Good thing Detective Message has a way to cope with his frustration. When a case starts going cold, he just fires up his oven and starts cooking up everyone's favorite comfort food. I love to make pizza. A lot of people say I make a very good pizza. And while Message may have learned everything he knows about police work at the academy, in the kitchen, he's a mama's boy. I used to watch my mom cook and bake ever since I was a little boy. And I always used to like sitting in the kitchen and watching her put things together. For Message, cooking and building a case go together like spaghetti and meatballs. Putting the ingredients together while I cook is a bit like putting together a, a case that I investigate. You put piece by piece together to hopefully solve the crime and make an arrest. But police wonder if they'll ever have the recipe for success in finding Sarah's killer. And just when it seems this case will remain half-baked, they get a fresh nibble about a guy they've had on their menu all along. The slippery suspect from the fast foodery, Eugene Britt. And no one's keeping a closer eye on Britt than local Legal Eagle, Chief Deputy Prosecutor Brian Gensel, for good reason. The focus tended towards Britt among all of the suspects when it was learned that he had been lying to the police. When police first questioned Britt, he insisted that after he was sent home from work for goofing off, he rode his bike home in the opposite direction of the crime scene. And police had to take his word for it. Until now. The investigators came across a witness that saw Britt on the day of the homicide, around the time when it could have occurred, riding his bicycle on the route that he said he did not take. The mindset of the police was, why is he lying to us? As police wonder if this new lead will help them fry their belligerent burger flipper, they get a call from a very unlikely source, Eugene Britt's formerly tight-lipped sister, Eva. This time, she has plenty to say. The sister of Eugene Britt was very instrumental in the investigation. She was very forthcoming, and I think she was trying to do what she thought was the right thing. With red-hot suspect Eugene Britt front and center, investigators hope they finally have their man. And there's more to his sinister story than police can even imagine. Almost two months after Sarah Paulson's murder, some new information has investigators zeroing in on an old suspect, Eugene Britt. The fast food employee and ex-con 
police believe was in the area the day Sarah was killed. We could never eliminate him. He was someone that every time we looked at it, things kind of mushroomed. And the mushroom cloud keeps on growing when Britt's sister steps forward, telling police she kicked her brother out of the nest after a recent spat over the fact that he abruptly quit his job at the fast food restaurant and could no longer help out with the bills. Eugene Britt's sister told us that he was living in a halfway house on Fifth Avenue. And we confirmed that. Now that her siblings no longer under her nose, it seems Eva is willing to chat about Eugene. In fact, she goes on to say that she has something of his that police may want. His sister said while she was cleaning up the bedroom, she found a box containing some clothes of her brother. And it consisted of two work shirts, a hat, and a pair of pants. So police shoot over to Eva Britt's house like a high-speed train. And when detectives take a peek into the box, they find the color of Britt's work shirts very intriguing. Navy blue. Could the blue fibers found under Sarah's fingernails have come from this uniform during the attack? Before we found Eugene Britt's clothes, we didn't have any physical evidence to put him at the scene. That's because when police first questioned Britt, he wasn't wearing his work shirt. But now that they have their hands on his uniform, detectives are certain he's their man. And sure enough, the crime lab agrees. The fibers are a match. When I received the news, I believe my body was numb. It was like my blood drained from my body. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is it. And we finally have something conclusive that we are going to be able to arrest this guy. Let me put it this way. Because of the investigation, this case was presented to the prosecution in a gift wrap box. We had everything that we needed to now proceed. Police waste no time bagging their man, and they find Britt just where his sister said he'd be, at the Johnson halfway house. Britt seems shocked to see detectives, and he sticks to his original story, that he had nothing to do with Sarah's murder. But when they tell Britt they have evidence that says otherwise, he spills the beans. And he did confess, but he didn't really want to talk about it. All he would say was, I killed the little girl in Portage. And that little girl he was admitting to was Sarah Paulson. And then the fast food flunky delivers another shocker. He confesses to nine other murders. Eugene Britt was admitting to a number of unsolved murders in Gary, most of which were rape murders. We then realized that we had the most prolific serial killer that the state of Indiana has ever experienced. It's a shocking admission for sure. Britt claims he's been on a killing spree for the last six months. The braggart boasts about his alleged victims, one man and eight women from all walks of life and all ages. He tells police all his kills went down in Gary, except little Sarah Polson, who met her fate in Portage. On November 2nd, 1995, Eugene Britt is arrested for the death of Sarah Polson. 
Britt is later sentenced to 245 years plus life in prison for first-degree murder and deviant sexual conduct. I felt extremely excited that we did catch this guy, knowing that we all did our very best and doing our very best resulted in the arrest of a serial killer. It's a bittersweet victory for the Portage police, but no one is more relieved than Sarah's family. And mom, Patty, has her own unique take on it. He's off the streets. And if that's what Sarah's purpose in life was, then I guess she got him off the street. So I guess justice was served. Based on Britt's confession and the evidence, this is what police believe happened to Sarah on that fateful day. It all started when Britt left his job in a huff and crossed paths with little Sarah. We believe he had a short conversation with her, then he grabbed her. And that's when Britt unleashed his pent-up anger. He picked her and her bicycle up and carried her about 75 feet, where he then threw the bicycle across a limb and then he proceeded to sexually assault Sarah Paulson and, and then kill her. She puts up a mighty struggle, but petite Sarah doesn't have a fighting chance against a man three times her size. That day was the day before school started, and if it was just one day later, Sarah would have been in school. If one little thing out of a whole scenario would have changed, it wouldn't have happened that way. The sight of Sarah Paulson riding her bike and collecting bugs will be sorely missed. But her family and community will always find new ways to remember their favorite little tomboy. The neighbor planted a tree and built a memorial next to the church. The Junior Miss softball field, they have a park down there named Sarah Paulson Park. I mean, just a continuous outpouring. Right here in our house, every year we plant flowers, and they all have to be pink. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.